Hello and welcome to another episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. My name is Jason Call. I'm the owner of Handyman Marketing Pros. We do websites and SEO for home improvement companies. I'm here with my co-host, Alan Lee, the owner of Handyman Journey. Um, he provides coaching, uh, coaching group and courses and everything like that for handyman professionals. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. Um, our mission is to teach and inspire, and we do that by bringing on our amazing guests who have found their own success in a handyman or handy woman business, as we will have today, um, and through their stories and um, how they do estimates and pricing and everything to run their business, um, we seek to just inspire you that you can reach your business goals, whether you're new or established, and also have plenty of takeaways to apply in your business to um, make your life, your business better and better serve your customers and your family. So um, without further ado, thank you so much, Samantha, with My Handy Ma'am Services, Handy Woman Services in Lansing, Michigan, for joining us today. Samantha, if you could uh, give us a just brief introduction about yourself and, um, well, I know you're in Lansing, Michigan, where you're at, and just a quick overview of your business. Sure. Yeah. So we actually, we live and our business is based out of a small town that's about 20 minutes north of Lansing, but our we draw customers from our small town, one small town next to us, and then the greater Lansing area. Um, the name of our business is My Handyman Home Repairs and Renovations, and we focus really on finish work. We, we do a lot of finish work. Honey-do lists are kind of a sweet spot for us. We like to build decks and fences and then kind of anything with wood. So we do, there are quite a few things that we don't do that we've tried and found out over time that we either we don't enjoy or we're just not that great at. So we've narrowed down over the last couple of years and those are the things we focus on. Very cool. Who is we? If you could kind of explain uh, yeah. an overview of the, the team that you've got. Yeah, so so this started as a mother-daughter business. Um, my husband helps. He says, he laughs. He says he, he can paint and he likes to wreck things. So occasionally we pull him in, but his full-time job is a pastor. And that's okay. actually what brought us to this area three years ago. But the primary folks these last few years have been myself and my daughter, Emily. So we run the business together. Um, she's the project manager. And then I do um, pretty much all of the executive functions in addition to both of us working in the field. But right now we also have a, an administrative coordinator who works remotely. We have two helper interns who are going to college in the fall. And then we are just bringing on two additional field technicians. So they'll start in the next three weeks, maybe. Um, I was thinking if I'm missing anybody, I think that's it. There are seven of us. So six women and one man work for our company. That's Very awesome. cool. Very yeah. really cool. <laughs> so we'll we'll dig more into the team for sure. Uh, uh, but first, if you don't mind, kind of giving us a little lay of the land as far as so there's about seven now, and it sounds like some new people recently. Um, if you don't mind giving us a little snapshot of like um, your your revenue, your kind of like numbers, whether you know if you have it from last year, 2022, was it, um, and then kind of what you're looking at this year. Yeah, for sure. So for us, it's been kind of an interesting journey financially, as well as in every other way. When we moved to this area, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I wanted to do something physically active. I worked the last 25 years in administrative and management roles, so primarily in human resources and healthcare. And we were making this big move anyway. So my husband got called to the job here in St. John's, which is just north of Lansing. And I just wanted to do something different. I didn't know if that might be a mail carrier or, you know, some other type of physical job. 
job. Um, we moved here in February and we bought a 156 year old house. And wow. so, the, and it needed a lot of cosmetic updates. So the first few weeks we were here, we tore our house apart and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so nobody was working, but we had nothing but plaster dust and lath boards and, uh, you know, dust on our food inside the cupboards. And it was just wild. So really we were forced to just learn how to do everything ourselves. That's kind of how our journey started. Um, and then we loved it, absolutely loved it. And so we thought, so basically flipped our house, but kept it. We did a complete renovation. So then we thought, well, this will be great. We'll do flipping houses. That'll be the physical thing that I'll do. And so we bought a house about five blocks away from us and we did a complete renovation. It took us about nine months and we lost our shirts on it. <laughs> so we discovered that we don't, we we don't really know how to do things in a cost effective way, like a way that actually allows you to make money flipping houses. So we love the work, but the financial side of flipping houses wasn't really a good fit for us. But as we were doing both of those, our house and the house that we flipped, we were posting before and after pictures on Facebook, you know, a few times a week just because it was fun. And so we started to get this group of people who were like, hey, can you do this for us? Can you do that for me? I need that done in my house. And that's kind of how the interest started. And this long story is all to kind of explain the financials when I answer that question. So if I, so we started with our um, renovations in 2020. So we're just over three years now with this full adventure. Um, we didn't start, it's only been two, a little over two years since we were doing work for other people. So that first like year and a half, we were just doing those projects for ourselves. So we had a huge loss in 2020. All we did was put money into the flip house and we didn't sell it until the next year. So, oh, you know, man. it was complete loss that year, a large one. In 2021, we did sell the flip house and we did begin to do some handyman services about July of that year. We started kind of part time. And that year in 2021, we actually had a loss of almost $10,000. Part of that was employing my daughter and my nephew full time and then having no idea how to price things. So we pretty much lost our shirts in that first six months. Last year, we did better. I employed my daughter full-time, employed two interns, started paying myself, which was nice. Um, so 2022, we had we still had a loss, but I got paid, which was nice. So we had a loss about $6,000 for the year. And then this year, as of June 30th, our, so in 2022, that loss of $6,000, $7,000 was on $162,000 in revenue. Now, in 2023, as of June 30, we're at $105,000. We expect to be around two sixty-five dollars by the end of the year because we're adding a second crew. And then we should be around three eighty-one dollars next year. That's our target. This year, we're running a profit margin of about 10%. So we're making money which is really nice to do. Um, yeah. And next year, our target for, for net profit is 10.5%. Man, that's beautiful. I, I love the, the progression there because a lot of people start out in this business or start out any business and they hit a little snag or they're like, I'm not making as much money. But really, it's not all about like what you do in the first year or the first month or the first three months, but it's it's a progression of, okay, are we getting better and where are we going? Like, I, I really like that, right? You had, you had a loss in 2021, you had less of a loss in 2022, and now, you know, you are on track to hit a much higher gross revenue with an actual good net profit margin. Like, that's what it's all about. And then you have pro projections for next year because I think it's a good lesson in failure 
is failure doesn't mean that you're done. Failure means that mm-hmm. you need to learn something and change it. So I really like that progression. Thanks for laying it out like that. Yeah, that was really of course. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. When I see people who are new to the Facebook group or uh, new to the um, Handyman Academy and they're talking about how they're pricing and they're losing money, I'm just like, oh, I I feel you. I totally get that. It makes me yeah. feel better. I'm like, it sounds like everybody goes through this and they get started. Yep. Yep. So how did you, uh, how did you start figuring out your pricing and like, what did that journey look like as far as like figuring out how to charge for things? So in the beginning, it was complete guesses based on no evidence and no experience whatsoever. And it was kind of crazy in the first like year we kept, I think it would take this long and then it would take longer than that. And then we'd have to push other jobs back and then you can't bill anything until you're actually done doing the job. And so then, you know, revenue wasn't where we thought it would be. And my daughter, Emily works with me, but I, I have twins. My daughter, Hannah is an engineer. So I was talking to Hannah and I was like, gosh, we're always taking longer than we think we're going to take. And Hannah said, mom, it's not that you're slow. It's that you're terrible at estimating how long it's going to take in the first place. <laughs> That's good. And that was really a turning point when I realized you're right. We are, I am terrible at that. I don't keep close enough track of how long things take us so that I can begin to kind of build some patterns and know how long these things will take us. And that, that, and then that was right around the same time I was beginning to participate in the Facebook group and hearing other people talk about their challenges with estimating. Um, And it really got us to where we are now. We found over time that certain things can be estimated based on kind of a fixed amount. So we do um, fencing at $50 a linear foot. We do decks at a certain price per square foot. Painting, we found for us, um, charging by the room based on like a small, like a bathroom size room or a standard size room or an oversized room works better than by the square foot. So we charge by the room and then window and door trim, baseboards, crown molding ceilings, those are a la carte. So we add those in, you know, cause you might have a room that looks like a decent size room, but then it has, you know, 14 windows that they want painted. So we found that those are the, that was the way that works best for us to accurately price it. But there's a lot of work we do that can't really be boiled down to a per square foot or per linear foot. And so the way that we estimate those jobs is we actually sit down and write out the work plan. So you need to, you know, with it, even with a deck, we kind of, we have a per square foot price, but I'm still always thinking like, is this deck, you know, just have a rot gap at the bottom and it's close to the ground or is this deck going to be three feet off the ground? You know, cause that changes the dynamics of what the design is, but the same for any other job and honeydew lists are no different than that. You know, how long is it going to take us to do each of these things? What are the steps that are involved? Because if I just say, well, how long will it take me to run a new dryer vent duct? You know, that's doesn't help really doesn't there's no number that pops into my head. I really have to talk about, okay, how big is the room? What's the situation now? How bad is it? Do I have to cap the old one where it is? Or am I just replacing, you know, flexible with hard duct? So walking through each of those steps and then assigning a time value to them helps me to be more honest with myself about how long something's going to take. Because when I get to the end of estimating, I'm usually like, that's a lot of money. You know, I have this hesitation. I never want to put like, I want to be like, we can do it a little faster than that. Or, you know, for some reason, I'm always negotiating with myself against myself. Right. By writing those down, then I've had to learn to be honest and reasonable with myself. Like, that's how long it's going to take. You may not like that answer, but that's the truth. And 
we used to really want to do people favors all the time in the beginning, um, which I think is normal. You're trying to build your business. You want customers to say yes. But, you know, we don't, none of what we do is like, we don't do emergency plumbing. We don't do emergency, you know, heat in the winter. We don't, the most of the things we do, they're repair. There are a lot of repairs, but a lot of it too is beautifying things. We don't need to finance other people's projects with our own unpaid personal time. Right. And that was a hard lesson to learn. But we've gotten to the point where we understand that not every customer is going to be our customer. We're not going to be the right contractor for every customer. And so we make it super easy for them. If they say that's a lot of money, we just say we absolutely understand. We're not always the right fit for anybody. We hope you find someone that will work out for you. We don't try to explain or negotiate because in the end, they only have whatever money they have for the project. You know, and they may need to trade off part of the service experience in order to get the work done for the money they have. Sometimes that's just a reality and that's okay. You know, we've been in that position. We, you know, we had young kids, we were broke. We needed things done expensively. You know, we made choices like that in the past too. And there's nothing right or wrong about it. It's just at this point, we want to be able to offer careers in in our field of work to people who are non-traditional applicants. And we give 10% of all of our profit to charitable causes. And we want to be able to do free work when there's a need and kind of the Holy Spirit is calling. So in order to and pay our own bills and you know, yeah. pay my pay my employees well, in order to do all of those things, I need a pricing model that may not always be a good fit for some of our customers. And I, it took a while to accept that. But when I reminded myself, it's not just me that I'm benefiting by doing it that way, it's been helpful. We just, you know, send the estimates off into the universe. And if it doesn't work out, then we've just come to a point where that's okay. Hmm. You know, it's always easier to say that when your business is a little more established and, you know, you have plenty of business, it's obviously easier to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, uh, do you give free estimates? Because it sounds like uh, for projects, you put a lot of legwork into the the work plan. We do. We give free estimates. Okay. And I know there's a lot of discussion about whether or not to do that in the handyman group. And, you know, there are sometimes I we go through a lot of work and I'm like, ugh, I wish I hadn't invested that kind of work. But for us, who we work for, is really important to us. Our jobs are normally one to three days. So that's kind of our sweet spot. Um, I'd probably be a little less picky if we were in four homes a day. You know, if I only have to be in your house 45 minutes, it might not matter quite as much. Um, But two things matter to me. One is that I'm a female and I have mostly females working for me, including my daughter. So I only want to work for people I'm comfortable with. Hmm. Um, And the second is if we're going to spend three days in your house, I want to make sure I'm comfortable spending three days in your house. So for us, the best approach to estimates has been to be in person. I want to go and meet the people that will potentially work for usually get a good feeling or they'll put up red flags right away. And sometimes we just decline to provide an estimate for a project because of that. So we get, I mean, we used to get in the beginning, it was a badge of honor for me. We got hundred percent of the estimates that we put out, but that's because we were like yeah. 40% of what we should have been charging. It's easy <laughs> to get it when you're the cheapest guy by a lot. Yeah. Um, but we get about 60 to 65% of our estimates are yeses now. And that's a pretty good place for us. Okay. That's, that's pretty awesome. I love how you broke that down too. Is like, um, when you, when you're going to estimate a job for someone, it's not so much about, well, there's one side of it of like, okay, are we, can we provide a good quote for them? 
But there's also another yeah. price. Like, do I even want to work for that person? Yeah. Right. Like that's a huge factor that I think people yeah. don't even take into account. I mean, if someone sends me, we had one customer, they sent, had they sent pictures ahead, I would have been like, okay, we can do that. But we show up for the estimate and they're like, don't make eye contact with our dog. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not going to work in a house right. where I can't make eye contact with the dog without getting bitten. Right. You know, it's just some of those things we can't learn until we go there. And as a female, also, there are some houses I go to where we had one last week. We showed up. They didn't answer the door. They didn't answer the door. I went back to the truck and I texted. It was a woman. I texted her. And then a man shows up shirtless at the front door and they have like <laughs> cardboard over all their windows and they could be totally fine. It's just those kinds of things. I'm like, this isn't a house where I'm going to feel comfortable. If I can't, if I don't feel comfortable sending my daughter into that house by herself, then we're just not going to do business with them. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. I like how your estimates, it's almost like uh, um, you're interviewing uh, these people. Yeah. <laughs> well, and honestly, we're really good in person. So when we do estimates in person, even though our prices are not the least expensive by far, we usually win the business we want to win. And I think part of that is just for us, you know, we're generalists. So you can take any single service that we do and there's always going to be somebody that's faster than us and somebody that's better than us. It's just, a, you know, we do great backsplash installations, but there's going to be a guy that only does backsplash that's going to be better than us. That's always going to be the case. So for us, the individual jobs are not really where we win the business. It's the full experience. It's from the moment you call and talk to our customer service person to the moment I'm mopping my way backwards out of your house. That's really what we have to sell is that entire start to finish. And a lot of that is based on who we are as people. And that really, for us, we really shine when we show up in person. So a question about that. So what... What about this customer experience? Um, like, what are some of the highlights that you think your ideal clients love the most? And they, when they experience it, they're like, wow, this is why I call my handyman for like everything. So if you, if you got to just give us an overview of like this yeah. experience, because it's so I mean, critical. Honestly, the bar is so low. It's really easy to look like <laughs> a superstar because right. the things that our customers tell us is we call them back. We gave them a defined estimate appointment time. We showed up at that time. We, you know, told them how many days it would be until they got an estimate. They actually got their estimate in that number of days. You know, if the job scope didn't change, but we just did a bad job estimating, the amount of the estimate doesn't change. And we honor our estimates and we take care of their belongings. We clean up on our way out. Like these are really basic things, but those are the things that set us apart in general what matters to our customers matters to us. They, as people, matter to us. And everything that we do in taking care of them shows that, you know, I might not be able to say yes to whatever you want, but I always want to say yes. So I'm always going to be finding some way to be helpful to you. And I think just that overall feeling of, like, I have a person now. That's why it's like my handyman, because our customers are like, that's my handyman. <laughs> you know, so we feel like we become kind of partners in their life where there's all these little pain points or irritations for them. And they just have a person that they can call to take care of those. And we're that person. Cool. So you uh, so you you mop or sweep on your way out? 
Well, I do. Like yesterday we were um, doing a ceiling repair and it was very messy. It was dusty. And it was like, there wasn't really a great way to keep, like we had drop cloth down, but in drywall dust, it ends up, unless you put up like a zip tent, it ends up in places you don't want it to. And they had this beautiful slate entryway floor, but the grout's in bad shape. So, you know, you end up with drywall dust in the cracks and crevices. So yeah, we're scrubbing that out of their grout and then mopping our way out of the house so that we're leaving it clean. You know, mm. so sometimes it's sweeping our way out. Sometimes it's mopping our way out. But yeah, yeah making sure that we we typically leave whatever area we're working in cleaner than how we found it. Awesome. I uh, I, I love that, like, even when you do things like to standard and buy like your process, like drop class and everything. But when you're leaving, you still notice like, OK, we could do a little bit better. That's what really separates like the supreme, like top of the line companies from all the others is, and it comes down to that personality um, and just, you know, the servant like side of, I just want to help. Alan, there's someone in Sacramento, I don't know if it's Bell Brothers or the Bonnie, but they highlight their technicians. If they spot something totally unrelated to HVAC that they can help with, they'll do it. So it's it's something that they empower their technicians to do. So, you know, whether it's something related to the vehicle, uh, like this guy like buffed out like uh, some scratches in this guy's car or something like that, just totally above and beyond because the technician while on the job saw something and was like, you know, it's not part of this, but I, I really would like to help this person and make their day. Uh, I think that, that that kind of thing is is amazing to kind of instill in a company. Yeah. Once, if you're a customer, once you've experienced something like that, why would you want to use another company? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great business development strategy. Yeah. And for us too, I think one of the things that a lot of contracting company companies don't seem to understand to their own detriment is that if somebody pays you to do the work and a lot of the people we work for are middle-class you know, on the lower end of middle class, we don't work in million dollar. We don't, I don't really like to work in million dollar homes. We kind of are in that middle spot. They might be spending, they might've been saving a long time to get this job done. So this money they're spending on this job has a value, a significant value to them. So if I put in a new, you know, we have a new granite countertop installed and we put new kitchen cabinets in and all that's great. And then I leave and there's like filth all over the floor they're still going to love their cabinets and their counter, but it does like dim the delight they have in the project by just a little bit when they're in there cleaning up after us. And that's what we tell customers. They're like, oh, you don't have to clean up. Well, I'll get that. We're like, absolutely not. You know, we made the mess. We'll clean up the mess. When we leave, we want you to just be able to keep walking by the room and looking in and going, oh my gosh, I love it so much. That's awesome. That's great. So how uh, how do you guys market your handyman business? What are some of the things that you've seen that kind of work the best for you guys? Yeah, we've tried a lot over the last couple of years. And we actually, I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget. We've hit, kind of hit a sweet spot for us. Okay. We probably are getting maybe five or six new leads a day, which for us, so then if we're, you know, if we, some of those will not be in our service area or some of those will, you know, be replacing a roof. Those are things we don't do, but we, we are booking out six to eight weeks so that we're in kind of a good place where if we look at our pipeline and it comes down to business, we want that we win, we're in a good place. So we've got paid paid sources and organic sources. So I thought I wrote them down so I could share these because these have become really useful to us. So the organic sources we have, we get a lot of word of mouth referrals. People mm -hmm. do tend to look at us as their person once we've done their first project. So then they're like, I have a person that can help you with this. 
Um, we have our truck magnets. We do, we get calls from our truck magnets. People will see them at their neighbor's house or they'll see us in the parking lot at Panera or something like that. Um, we have business cards at three of our three small town lumber stores. So the places where it's the same people all the time that are working the register that are helping you find things. So the places with the three places we shop the most often when we're not at a big box store, they know us and they give our business cards out to people who are there buying a part and like, do you know anybody that can help me with this? We also occasionally will just randomly leave our business cards buy products in the big box stores that we know people are going to need help installing. We don't do that very often because then the store will catch on and I'm sure they'll ask us not to do it anymore. So we do, but we do that occasionally because we figure that'll just seem like, oops, we left our business card there. Uh Oops. We belong to and monitor a few community groups on Facebook. So we um, we have one, a women's networking group in the Lansing area has 20,000 women in the group. And so Several times a week, someone's like, Do you, is there someone that can help with this? Is there someone that can help with that? Um, and so we'll respond to those. We have a few partners in the industry and we cross refer. So, you know, three blocks from where we are, there's another family owned handyman business. And Zach loves to do doors. And I really dislike doing interior doors. Like I'll do pre-hung doors, but I really hate boring out new hinge holes and things like that. And he loves to do that. So whenever we have a doors project, if it's just doors, we just send the referral to them. If it's doors as part of a long handyman list, then we subcontract with Zach to come in and do the doors project. So Uh we get the same there are things we do that they don't do. So we have two other main partners that send a lot of business our way for things that they don't like to do. Um, We belong to the Home Builders Association in our area. And so we're in the the book of professionals that people can look up, people that belong to the Home Builders Association. And we belong to our Chamber of Commerce. So our name's out there. So those are kind of the organic sources. And then we have three really effective paid um, targets. One of them are Facebook ads. We only run them periodically because otherwise they get kind of old. So we'll, when it's about to be time to schedule decks and fences, we'll run a Facebook ad. When it's dead of winter, you know, people are stuck in their houses, we'll run a kitchen backsplash ad. So we have kind of targeted ads that we run throughout the year. We are also on 20,000 placemats. Like there are a couple of small town cafes in our area. And where like the old people go to drink coffee and talk to each other. Um, We're in that kind of community where they have that. And, and I didn't mention earlier. And the reason why it's so effective for us, this particular one is our target audience is single women, widowed women who are 50 years and older. Okay. So The people who are sitting in the cafe drinking coffee at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning is our target audience. Right. So those are the folks that really need the help. So they see that. And then there's this little free magazine. I don't, I don't know if I have one. I don't have one here, but they're about this big. It's smaller than an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. It's free. It's about 16 pages. They go to 19,000 homes. And, you know, I have daughters who are 24. They barely even check their mail. You know, the younger people, they definitely do not pull unsolicited mail out of their mailbox and sit down and read it. But our target audience does. Right. So people who are in that 50, 60, 70, 80s, they read those. And we our leads increased 20 fold when we started advertising in that little magazine. Like we're the only handyman service in there. We're, you know, 
Our name tells you that you're going to probably get a female, which has been really helpful. Um, And about 90% of our clients are older women. Mm. So, yeah, so those are the three paid sources and then all those organic sources. But those are the ones we found work really well for us. That's that's really cool. And I I like how you identified, they call it your marketing avatar, right? Like you've you've identified who your market, like who your ideal client is, because because once you identify who your ideal client is, like, where does that person hang out? Right. And so I think right. that's really cool yep. that you've identified that. What are some, what are some things you did like in the very early days to get some of your like first clients? Like, how did you get started? Yeah. So we, our very first customer was a fellow alum, an older, she graduated in 25 years before I did, but we went to the, we had the same alma mater. So we had belonged to the alumni group together. So she saw on Facebook that we were doing this and she asked us to build her a new shed door. So that was our very first paid project for somebody else. And then she told everybody she knew about us. <laughs> and then she, one of her neighbors that she told, told everybody she knew about us. So in the beginning, those two women, and we kind of look at them as like the matriarchs of our business. If you look at the family tree, you know, (laughs) I think we have something like, we looked at this at the end of last year, it was like 60 or 70 of our clients traced directly back to Sue or Chris, to these two women. So in the beginning, having those two advocates for us was, that was the thing that really launched us. That's really cool. That, that makes me think of something that one of my business coaches uh, says is that each person knows roughly 2000 people. So if you can get in someone's contact list, like they know about 2000 people that you don't know. Right. And then yep. each person that they know, like knows another 2000 people. So it's like it can quickly branch out. I like how you use the, the phrase family tree. Like that's yep. cool. And mm-hmm. I like, uh, you know, you started, you said when you started, you just posted pictures on your Facebook page. like. There's like, I've, I've been asked by a lot of people like, Hey, how do I get started? I'm like, just start posting on Facebook. Like it's huge because you don't even know your aunt that you haven't talked to in five years, but your Facebook friend with her, she may know someone in your local area that needs what you're doing. And, and by seeing your picture, she can share that. And like, it can blow up very quickly by just having that small network. So I love that. That's it cool. Does. Yeah. Yeah, it helps when you have people who want to see you be successful. And that was the case with Chris and Sue. They both felt like, oh, this is a woman-owned business. And for them, that was particularly important. It doesn't have to be a female-owned business. It can be someone else. Like I, We serve as an advocate for the company that's three blocks down from us. They just started like a year and a half or maybe two years ago. We, you know, they, they're amazing and they have all their own referral sources, but we want them to be successful. So whenever I can tell people about them, I want to be an advocate for them as well. They're an amazing family. Um, the Zach, the guy that is the handyman, he does remarkable work so that anytime we can, you know, talk them up, we want to. So being advocates for other people is really useful. And I think if you're starting as a new handyman, being able to ask other people, sometimes people don't know they can be helpful. So right. I think sometimes just outright asking like, hey, my business is new. If you know anybody that needs help, can I leave a few extra business cards with you? I think people respond well to that if you've taken good care of them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, That's for sure. Beautiful. There's reminds me there's a like next door is a, a place where people can kind of just blow up if it's in a big community. Uh, yes. I talked to in the Dallas area that he said he made one next door post. 
And, and it went viral because there was no other professional handyman that was on their neighborhood. And yep. he went full time within two weeks and has, has never stopped just off of, you know, it just takes, it can only take a spark, but it takes investigating and being active and asking for that help and being in your community for that spark to take. And it could not be right away, but uh, just getting out there, that's, that's all you can do. And something good will happen if you do good work and take care of folks. Yeah. And I think that combination of doing something that not a lot of other people are doing and then people finding out that you do that can be really explosive in a really short amount of time. I think and it's different in every community. I think in our community, if we were doing kitchen, if we were primarily focused on kitchen renovations or bathroom renovations, there are a lot of people who do that and do it well. I don't think I don't think we'd have the same kind of volume of business that we do now. But our niche is really like the things that nobody else wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get, uh, you know, I say contractor, I'm a licensed residential builder, so I'm a contractor. But in general, the contractors that build houses and do kitchen remodels and bathroom remodels, they don't want to come and change three light bulbs and two light fixtures and fix a faucet and adjust your door that won't close. You know, before like our industry, there really isn't any other industry that is the solution for that. Like I've been keeping this list forever. Who's going to help me with this? Most people don't want to call, you know, eight different contractors to try to get the help. So being able to say, we'll take that list and we'll help you get that done. And, you know, if other professionals are needed, we actually bring those professionals in to do those kinds of things. So for us, like that's our particular niche, but I think you know, in every community, there's some need that's not being met. And that overlap between people finding out about it and you being able to meet that need is a real catalyst for business growth. Yeah. I I tell people all the time that there's a drastic gap in supply and demand for professional handyman, handywoman services. There's just not a lot of companies like you that, and Alan, that, uh, you know, are going to go above and beyond with their customer service, provide great great quality. Uh, There's just not a lot of them. Um, And so, by doing everything right and getting out there. If, if someone's new listening, you will be amazed if you take care of people and get your foundation built and ask for help. Um, there's a big need for it in every market out there. This morning, our project manager, Emily, went on an estimate appointment for a painting job. And the customer told her that they were the we were the eighth company wow. that scheduled an estimate appointment with. And we were the only ones that showed up. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, when you look at that, like, are they going to keep scheduling estimate appointments? You know, probably not. (laughs) Yeah, depends on the price. I mean, we may be outside their price range, but if we're even close, chances are they're going to pick us just because, you know, if somebody goes to the, this is what I never understand about businesses is why even go to the trouble. You've wasted your technician's time in addition to the customer's time. If you send them on an estimate appointment or, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's time and then you don't go or you don't follow up. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it makes it really easy for those that do business like we do to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, we, if you answer the phone and show up in this business, you've already won half the battle. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So Samantha, you said uh, your average like sweet spot job size is like one to three days. Yep. Um, and you guys specialize in it sounds like some some bigger home improvement projects, and then like the small the 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 you know the the honey do list, if you will. Yep. Um, how is there anything strategically that you that you guys do for like really small jobs where you can come and estimate it, but then open up the door to all the other things that. 
basically where you can warrant to be there for a full day or two days? Um, I would say we're not we're not necessarily doing that in the moment. So we're like not showing up to do a job and then staying to do more work because uh, the way we schedule is we schedule very specific times. So I'm not going to have a technician go to a home to do a job and then have the next three hours after that available to do other work. Um, but we do win other work in the process of that. So a great example is a job we're working on right now is like a $4,000 drywall repair. And it started with the person called and said, I have a weather strip that is coming off and I can't figure out how to replace it. And this is one of those rare ones where I said, you know what, I'll just buy three of them. I, I had our CSR schedule said, just schedule me an hour before I'm going somewhere else. And I'll go there. I'll take three weather strips. Chances are one of them is going to work and I'll just do it while I'm there. And I did. And it, I had it with me. I didn't even have to buy it. It was one that we had in the shop from forever ago. I thought we were never going to be able to get rid of. We were past the return period. It took me like two minutes to put it in. So I just told her, you know, there's no charge. She lives in a really nice neighborhood with lots of other people that probably can afford to have home repairs. And so as soon as I finished with that, she's like, I, you, I can't not pay you. I'm like, it's fine. She's like, well, can you come look at another project? Hmm. So while I was there for that one, I took the pictures and looked at the drywall repair job and she had to wait oh. six, six weeks for us, but she was willing to do that. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's really cool. So what would you say have been some of your, uh, your biggest wins in business? Like what would you count as your biggest wins? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think it has to do overall with us. It might sound silly, but we've survived the last mm. three years. I mean, we, I did, I and mean, this is crazy. I have a business degree. I have two business degrees. I have to be the worst business person with two business degrees there is, as I've made every possible mistake over the last three years. So the fact that we've survived, that we've made it, that we've been able to build something that's meaningful to us and that opens opportunities for other people that might want to try something different. I mean, it can be hard to leave your job and think, like, I work as a receptionist. I'm going to go be a handyman. It doesn't, it, what is the pathway? You know, if, you know, we have one intern who's about to become a high school senior and she's in the trades program. For her, that's a pathway in. But what do you do when you're 26 and you've been doing something different? What's the pathway for you? If you've already got a family, you can't really quit your job to go to trade school. So creating a company that creates a pathway for people to enter our field with a safety net. So they're going to come and work for us and they're going to learn and they're going to get paid so they can still support their family while they're learning a new trade. For us, the most important thing is the person, not the skill set they bring with them. You know, as long as someone can do math, um, which is, you know, I can't teach that if you can't do basic math, that's a requirement. But other than that, I mean, if they are the right person, then everything else can be taught. So creating a business that works for me, it allows me to provide full-time employment to my daughter in something that she loves and being able to bring these other people kind of into the family, into the business and create opportunities is really satisfying. I had an experience like that in my career. I worked 10 years in a nonprofit organization, a free clinic. It was the best 10 years of working for somebody else that I ever had. Yeah. 
And because every day, no matter how bad the day is, you know, you're doing good for people. And this is the first time since then I've felt that same way. You know, some days are not amazing, but the people we're taking care of during the day, what we do for them matters. And the people I'm taking care of that work for me, what I'm doing to take care of them matters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think just making it surviving to get to the point where we can open up those opportunities for other people is the most important thing that's happened. I love it. I love it. You're uh, the, the team members and the, this pathway you mentioned. Um, can you kind of walk us through like, uh, you know, how are you kind of recruiting and bringing in people that are really passionate or interested in learning? And what does this kind of structure look like when you're teaching them and you're paying them and they get to learn things, but ultimately hope to, you know, if they can do more work for you guys as you grow, if you could kind of walk us through what that looks yeah. like. Yeah. So in terms of recruiting them, I, I'm more than willing to hire qualified men. Absolutely. And have had some great guys on our team, but I also have a unique desire to provide opportunities to women who might not have another pathway in. So for this last job opening, we didn't exclude guys by any means, but I, the first two places I chose to advertise were places I know women gather. So that group of 20,000 women in the Lansing area, we posted the opening there. And then among alums of my alma mater, I mean, it's a co-ed school, but the females there networking with other females. And so we found two candidates who are, you know, one has a biology degree, but it can be difficult to find the career you want in biology. Um, can be difficult to get those jobs. And then the other one is actually works as a professional glass blower. Which is pretty cool. Um, But, you know, she said, if this glass blowing shop closes, it's the only one within like 100 miles of where I live. Basically, and the only transferable skill is running the cash register, you know, if I can't go to another glass blowing shop. So for her, she's interested in having a skill that allows her to grow. So that's kind of where we are, kind of the pools we're recruiting from. And then in terms of bringing them along, So for every job that we do, um, we're working on developing like a skills checklist where it's like not ready, partially ready, or like fully independent, where we can just evaluate what their skill set is. So if it's painting, it might be, you know, in order to work independently in painting, you have to be able to cut a straight line without tape when you're cutting in. We don't use tape. I mean, it's just everybody's approach is different, but we don't like how it bleeds under the edges and you don't know till it's dry and then you got to clean it up. So For us, it's important that you have the skill set that you can cut a clean line by hand. So that's just an example of one of the skills that's necessary in order to be successful at painting in the way that we do it. And then it's for backsplash tile. You know, there are certain jobs we do over and over again. And so developing skills checklists so I can evaluate, you know, we're on a job together um, and I can evaluate not ready, you know, partially ready or can operate fully independently. And then we know where the deficiencies are. So I'm going to make sure if I want this person to improve at painting, I'm not going to send them to the job changing out light fixtures. If they're already good at that, I want to make sure that person gets assigned to the job with an experienced technician so that they can increase their skills in those areas. And then pay is based on those same skills checklists as well. Because the more, if I can, you know, kind of, if I can use my crew in various different places, if I can plug them in in different places where they're needed based on their skill sets, the more skills they have, the more flexibility the business has. That's a value to us, a significant value. So then people, as they they know how to increase their pay, 
because they have these checklists that tell them these are the skills I need to acquire. So it's not my responsibility to keep track of that necessarily. Like it's my responsibility to provide opportunities for them to learn those skills, but then they have something they can hold on to that says, okay, I really want to become proficient in here. It looks like I'm missing, you know, these three skills. Can I practice at the workshop? Can I, you know, can I go on the next job? It gives them a little way to have some control over their own destiny as well. I mean, I'm start, I start people out somewhere between $17 and $25 an hour in this apprenticeship program, depending on what kind of skills they're coming with. But I don't mind paying somebody 30 or $35 an hour if I'm sending them out independently on a job that's, you know, where I'm charging $100 or $125 an hour. I can afford to pay them more if I can send them out and know they're going to take great care of the customers and do excellent work. So there are probably other ways to do it. But for us, that's kind of the pathway, how we identify where you are with any given skill set, where are where are the deficiencies, and then how do I get you to where you need to be? Hmm. Awesome. I, I know that. Alan has a similar, or he, Alan has a structure for like CB and A technicians based on their skill sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I like that because any, anything that you could do kind of like that checklist, right? Anything you could do, it's not only beneficial for you to know like how proficient someone is, but it's also beneficial for them because it helps them kind of have the um, like encouragement to kind of move to the next level. Be like, Hey, I really want to get to that next level, which might come with a you know higher pay or whatever. Yep. And this is what I need to focus on, or this is what I need to get better on. Just like you said, they can ask you, Hey, can I come work on that at the shop? Right. Yep. Like, yeah, that's great. It instills some kind of, you know, excitement in the person to get to the next level and get better. Yeah. Cause if I just tell them, well, when you're, you know, more useful to the business, you'll get paid more. <laughs> what does that even mean to them? Right. You know, there's no, right. There's no empowerment. They don't know what to change in order to move themselves along. So our our hope is that people will know exactly, you know, you might not like to paint. That's okay. But if you're not good at painting, you're not going to progress to the next level. Mm -hmm. We all do things that we don't prefer to do. You know, we have some things that are not our favorite, but you've got to, you've got to always be learning and growing those skills. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's huge. So I have a, I have a question. Uh, what, what do you guys, what would you say that you do the best? And then conversely, like, what is something that you guys are working on to improve in your business? Do you mean in terms of how we run the business or the specific projects? Um, how you run the business. Okay. So we are, have started as a small family run business with only family members as employees. Um, but we want to get to the point where if we wanted to open, um, an office is not the right word because we not necessarily have a physical space, but if we want to move into a new market, I want to know that I can replicate what we do and how we do it in that new market. So the getting from having a family run business where you come over early to pet the dog and eat breakfast with me, and then we go on the job and we do it just because we share the same values you know, we're doing the same things that that's a a long way away from getting to the point where I could meet somebody new in another city and show them exactly what it looks like to do business the way we do business. So that's our biggest challenge is transitioning out of that family business mindset into, uh, you know, being able to replicate the business, which for us, if we're going to have financial and time freedom, eventually, it can't just be the two of us, you know, it ha- it has to be larger than that. It has to be able to run itself. So our greatest challenge and the place where we're still really taking baby steps is we are developing those systems, but we're on the very early end of that. 
So awesome. is your ultimate goal then? Um, I guess, what is your ultimate goal for, for the business? It, it sounds like you're trying to create, because I personally think Handy Ma'am, uh, that's a really expandable name that would be welcomed in any market. I think it's a great brand. So I'm just curious, like, what is your goal for the business? Yeah, we would like to be able to open in other markets. Um, so, I mean, part of it is because, you know, it's great. I'm sure we would have, you know, eventually you have, um, revenue, additional revenue coming in from those markets. But it's also really fun to think about, okay, now in the Grand Rapids area, women who want to deal with women contractors have an option and women who want to enter the field have an option or, you know, women and men alike who share our values and want to do business this way or people that, you know, maybe it's someone that's worked in a cleaning business or a lawn care business for many years. They want to do something a little different. There's a pathway to do that. So, we had um, an article written by, we have like a statewide news organization and they did a, a small highlight article on us, but it it um, was shared statewide. So we had people calling our business line that are outside of our service area. Um, so, but we had saying, gosh, I wish we had something like this and not just the female aspect, but I wish we had like a professional handyman in our area. So we know there's a need in other areas as well. And we'd like eventually to be able to open in a few other markets in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Huh. What? So, uh, sorry, one another question that, and this wasn't on our normal thing, uh, but like what, what advantages would you say that that you have as like a, a handy woman business where the the technicians and the people showing up they're they're females? Yeah, I think from a purely female aspect, there's a level of comfort for female customers. So it's difficult as a female to trust that if you invite someone into your home that you've never met before, um, particularly if you're single or you know you're widowed or you're divorced. You're the only one there. So if you're going to meet with this contractor, it's going to be just you and this person that you don't know. So there's a level of comfort in having a female come to a female's home. So that's something that's unique about our business that definitely helps us to grow our business. Um, And then, you know, it's not it's not universally true. But in general, our experience so far has been that women are more detail oriented. And again, I'm not trying to generalize and say that sure. guys aren't because guys definitely are. No, um, we're, we're a mess. We're a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there are guys that just have that as a value. That's something they do. But I'll say this at the risk of upsetting our guy <laughs> guy colleagues that I you know, have a great respect for. But in general, if I bring in 10 guys and 10 women, um, the women are going to be more geared to see the small details. And because the kind of work we do is geared toward that, most of the work we do is finish work. Um, I think females in some ways are a better fit for that. Again, I'm not trying to generalize, but at least that's been our experience so far. We've Uh, had a couple of um, guys that work for us who are absolutely phenomenal at that, but kind of it tells you like the ratio for the work we do, you know, is six to one women to men. And there's also tends to be an interest we found just in our experience. Um, the A lot of the men we talk to, they're not necessarily interested in that fine finish work. They don't, you know, they don't want to be cutting a piece of backsplash tile that's this big and having to cut a tiny little L out of it because that's how it looks best. And it's not necessarily 
their favorite thing to do. So, you know, it might be different in different markets and other people absolutely probably have had different experiences. But just for us, we found that attention to detail and the comfort level with female customers. Those have been the two things that uniquely about my handy ma'am have been a benefit to us. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't think it's divisive at, at, at all because, I mean, there's certainly like there's statistical facts of, the uh, you know, male and female, like on the whole, uh, you know, females are higher empathy, uh, you know, males, you know, more physical. That's why 99% of bricklayers are male and a vast majority of caretakers nursing is is female because that's just it's just kind of ingrained in 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 each kind of sex there. So uh, there's it, it's 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 no uh, it's no surprise that there is like this slight variance. And of course, there's great handymen out there that are detail oriented. But absolutely, uh, you yeah. Know, there's like a slight skew, um, you know. Yeah. And there are certainly women who don't pay any attention to details. So it goes both ways. But I mean, we I enjoy drywall finishing, but drywall finishing if we're doing the whole job, it means hanging drywall too. And I am really strong. But we had subcontracted some drywall work at our own rental property and the guys were carrying in two sheets of four by 10 drywall by themselves. Wow. And like, yeah. I need a team carry on a four by eight. Like <laughs> yeah. drywall is uniquely difficult in that it's awkward and heavy and fragile. So right. it's kind right. of a yeah. weird product. So, you know, just that kind of job is, and same with a deck with the lumber, guys are always going to be faster at building a deck than we are just because I'm not going to carry, I'm not going to be able to carry, you know, four pieces of pressure treated 10 foot lumber, you know, from the truck to the work site by myself. So it's just different and it does not better. It's not worse. And it's not, can't be applied to everybody across both genders, but it's just been our experience. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And I think it's great hearing because like, like we said, you're, you're our second handy woman that we've ever interviewed on the handyman success podcast. So it's, it's really cool to kind of hear that different side of it because, you know, like for me, I fit into that statistic. I like to build things so they work. I don't really care how they look, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so that creates some weaknesses in my businesses. And I've hired other people that do care about the way things look to kind of compensate for my lack of that. So um, it's just, it's all about kind of knowing what you're good at, what you're not yeah. good at and yeah. hiring for what you're not good at ultimately. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we, there was a lot of stuff we did not talk about. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to have to have you back on this podcast because there's, there's so much, um, going on there and, but we are kind of out of time here, so we need to wrap it up. Um, but Samantha, we wanted to say thank you so much for coming out and being on the handyman success podcast. And thank you to all the viewers out there. The viewers and the listeners, uh, we, this would not exist without you guys. We do this for you guys to bring you hope, hope that you can have a better tomorrow. Uh, we want to give you guys a few resources. We've talked a lot about the Handyman Journey Mastermind group on Facebook. It's a completely free group that you can join. There's over 10,000 members on that group. Would highly recommend you check that out on Facebook. Also, if you want to reach out to Jason Call, the marketing wizard for Handyman, check him out at... Uh, handymanmarketingpros.com. Uh, you can also uh, reach out to me at handymanjourney.com. You can schedule a free call with me and Jason at both of our respective websites. Uh, you can also reach out to Samantha. She is the moderator um, in, or one of the moderators in our Handyman Journey Mastermind group on Facebook. So um, yeah, join that, get to know her and get to know her business. But thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Samantha, for being here. Yeah, thank you. And um, 
I'm excited for the next episode. We will catch you all on the next one. Have a great day, guys. Thank you.